Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into another edition of the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm your host, Eric Scopel, joined today by a very special guest, Oregon women's basketball coach, Kelly Graves. Coach, thank you so much for being generous with your time. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always great having you on here, and it's always great to have some basketball to watch, and I'm sure you've been a lot like me the last couple of weeks, basically glued to the TV. We finally have some live sports, um, NBA, WNBA back. Um, I'm sure for you it must be such a joy <clears throat> with all that's going on to be able to watch Ruthie and Satu and obviously Sabrina's out right now. But just those three, um, what are you, when, you when, when they're on the court and you're watching, what are you watching for? And is it maybe different than what you would be paying attention to when you're coaching them? Oh, I think it's a little bit different. I, I don't, uh, you know, I, I keep in touch with them best I can. Uh, I'm not calling them or texting them after every game saying, Hey, you need to do this or you need to do that. I'm, I'm watching it more now as a fan and just enjoying it. Um, you know, they had, they've had their typical rookie ups and downs. Uh, obviously Sabrina's situation is really unfortunate. We've, we've talked several times and, and stay in touch. I, I think if, if something like this was going to happen, this is the year to have it happen. You know, you're in the bubble and it's kind of a weird season anyway. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just really feel for her. She was coming in with so much momentum. Uh, but the other two, I think, are, are doing fine. I saw a statue last night, went 15 and 10. Yep. Uh, she, hurt, she hurt her ankle a little bit, which kind of concerned me when I saw it happen. Uh, I think Ruthie, she had a nice night as well. You know, her situation is so different because she's playing on a really good team with veteran inside players. And so she's just – you know, and, and I think she's doing a good job of just making the most of the minutes that she's getting. She's carved out a nice role, and she's making the most of it. You know, she's now a professional. That's what you've got to do. And then when your time comes, your time comes, and you better be ready. Well, I was going to say, I think for, for those maybe that haven't followed the WNBA recently and maybe didn't recognize how much of a contender the Sky have been the last couple of years, they probably surprised the first couple of games that, that Ruthie A wasn't in the starting lineup. She's getting 8 to 12 minutes a game. Um, but when you do watch her out there, she, she looks like she belongs. Um, she just happens to play for a really, really good team um, that has title aspirations and a deep team. Um, when you do watch her play, though, uh, Coach, uh, you, do you see that comfort level with her? I mean, because it is a different situation. At Oregon, obviously, she's playing 30, 35 minutes a game. She comes in for Chicago, and it's 8, 12, maybe 15 minutes. Well, obviously, that's a new experience for her. She started for us from day one, so – you know, she's, uh, she hasn't spent much time on the bench unless it was in a blowout at the end of the game. So, uh, so that's new. But she's, you know, she's such a great team player. I mean, she, she's bought into what they're doing. I think she looks pretty comfortable. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard because, you know, they, I think, returned 90% of their scoring and rebounding and 95% of their assists. So you're talking about a team that already knows each other really well and to be that newcomer to come in and, and just try to, you know, blend in, that's not easy. And she's not been in that situation before. So, like I said, I think she's got to be one of the better, uh, more productive rebounders in the, in, the, uh, in the league. I think she's getting as many 
rebounds per minute played as anybody in the, you know, in the league. So she's, she's doing some good things, but it's going to take her some time. Um, But she loves, you know, I know this, she loves her team. She loves her teammates. I know Courtney, who, you know, is one of the best players in the, in the, you know, world loves her, loves her, loves her work ethic, loves everything about her, thinks she's doing wonderful. I talk to Courtney all the time and she's been real high on her. So if you've got Courtney in your corner, that's something. Aside from some really awful injury luck, what has maybe surprised you from watching your former players this season? Are there things that you maybe didn't expect to see or, or maybe you weren't expecting them to be as productive in certain areas right away or kind of what has maybe caught you by surprise? Well, not really anything. Um, you know, I think Satu, we all knew what kind of an impact she had uh, or potential she had. Uh, to make a, a, an impact, and we've seen that. You know, a couple of double-doubles, the, the 23.17 effort, uh, 17 rebound effort, I think just kind of teased everybody. This yeah. is what they're able to get, plus her ability to pass the ball. She made a couple of passes in the game yesterday that were phenomenal. And, uh, you know, she's, she's got a real chance. You know, her team, she's got a couple players on that team that really like this student. So, you know, so I think she's going to have uh, she's going to have some nights where, you know, she's really on and, and that coach is, you know, a really good coach. He's going to find ways to get her the ball. But then she's going to have nights where maybe she doesn't stat out like she normally would because of the, the others around her. So I, I, you know, what you've seen from her is is basically what I expected, you know, some great games and then some that are kind of below the radar and then, you know, and then boom, she'll have that, that breakout game and then maybe settle back. So it, it'll be that way for her. I think uh, this first year mentioned a little bit ago about how cool it's been having some former ducks on TV to watch, you know, a couple of years ago, that wasn't a reality in the WNBA um, and the program has shifted. And obviously this incredible talent from last year's team, incredible talent on this year's team. And I wonder if you saw that and thought at all. And obviously your goal ultimately is to win titles, and but you obviously want your players to reach their professional aspirations. Have you, have you thought at all about with the talent on this team, three to four years from now, we could be maybe watching WNBA games where there are six to eight, ten ducks or something out there on the court. I mean, have you thought about and how that might change the Oregon brand? I know right now a ton of visibility with Satsu and Sabrina and Ruthie, but you, know, you introduce a, a new group of players to the WNBA, I think that would probably be huge for, for the program, right? Absolutely. We've got a lot of future WNBA players on the roster right now. So I think we're at a point now where people, especially with these three that are in the league, I think people view us as that program that, that is going to produce pros. And, uh, and we have several on the roster right now. Now, whether they realize that, you know, it, it, in large part is up to them. I mean, we're going to give them obviously the vehicle to do that, the, the system to, to showcase their talents. But they're going to have to work at it like Sabrina and Ruthie. And, you know, I don't think when Ruthie got here, people were looking at her as a potential pro. Um, you know, Satu, I think you saw that coming in. And, and Sabrina wasn't a no-brainer either. You know, when you just look at her and, and watch her play, it's not like, you know, she's touching the rim and, and doing, you know, lightning quick. So, but I think we've got, a, a, like I said, a team full of them. And, uh, and hopefully now we're the kind of program that, that will attract – players that want to get to the league and yes Eric one of my jobs is to help them realize their dream of playing in WNBA I mean that's you know I'm, I'm in the dream uh dream making business that's what I that's what I do I obviously want them to win and 
and that's super important. And and you can't win without great talent. And um, you know, so there's uh, you know, you're, you're kind of juggling both, but with great talent will come the wins as well. Yeah, and I'm sure it's gratifying to see players head off and do that. And I think in the future you'll have more opportunities to do that. Obviously. Let's switch gears and talk a little bit about this upcoming team here. Um, specifically, I don't think the two of us have chatted at least about Taylor Mikesell getting her eligibility clearance. Were you confident that was going to happen? Um, it seems like after last year with Sedona, and maybe this is just my perspective, it felt like maybe you shouldn't be confident in anything happening with the NCAA. Uh, were you confident with that? And, and how does her immediate eligibility change things for, for your backcourt? Because it's a ton of talent already. Well, the answer is no, I wasn't confident. <laughs> you know, it's one of those you hope for the best, but, you know, you, you kind of plan for the worst, so to speak. Uh, I'm really glad that she, you know, she was cleared. Yeah, she had a good case, uh, had nothing to do with, obviously, playing time. She started every game for two, her first two years there, played, I think, more minutes than anybody on their team. So it didn't have anything to do with the, the coach or the playing. It was other things that, uh, you know, wanted to make her kind of just – change but what a perfect fit from what I've seen so far you know we obviously haven't done anything five on five but from what I've uh, already seen from a workout uh, ethic to um, skill set her ability to shoot the ball and just as a baller I mean she's in the gym literally three times a day and I know that because you can't just go in the arena anymore their cards don't work to get in so they have to call and schedule a time and go, get their temperature checked and go through certain protocols. And so I know for a fact she's in there three times a day. Uh, one, one of those times is working out with us, and then she comes in in the morning and comes back in the evening. She is a worker and, uh, and just a phenomenal shooter. If she's not one of the two or three best shooters in the country, I would be shocked. So great fit for who we are, how we play, and, um, and we're really glad that uh, we have some experience with her. We only have four returning ducks that have ever played a game in a duck uniform. So just the fact she's got a couple of Big Ten seasons under her belt in a very successful program will help us immensely this year. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I guess, just looking at this roster, you, you mentioned that so many new faces and Taylor's a new face for Oregon but not a new face for college basketball, obviously. What has been that? I mean, in last and we should say the last couple of years, we've had a very clear leadership group with Sabrina and Ruthie, Satu, Aaron, uh, obviously Maite, and then Mignon, and all these players, veteran players that have been so crucial to these runs. Where does that come from this year? Um, Aaron's the only player back, really, with any starting experience. Where, where does that leadership come from? Is it her? Is it a group of players? Or and kind of how have you seen that come together? Well, from a leadership standpoint, we're in great position. Uh, I, I think leadership isn't just one or two players. I think leadership is shared. Uh, and, and certain leaders step up in certain situations. So we've been fortunate to have some, some of the best over the last few years, but I don't think that'll change. I mean, you look at uh, uh, two seniors, fifth-year seniors, Aaron Boley and Lydia Giomi. I mean, Lydia Giomi came in with Sabrina in that class. She's been a, an important part. She hasn't statted out like some of the other players, but she's a, been an important role player for us, and more importantly, she's a great student, great leader. Uh, she's a student leader among all our student athletes at Oregon. So we're in good hands in terms of our senior leadership from those two. And then you look at someone like Taylor Chavez, who has a lot of the same intangibles that Sabrina did. And I think our players uh, really look up to her as uh, you know, as that that leader as well, uh, situationally certainly. And then Jazz Shelley, you know, even though she's just a sophomore this year. Uh, she's a veteran, one of our veterans 
And, uh, in, you know, especially being named now to the, to the Australian senior national team, which is no small feat. That's the second best, second best team in the world. Um, you know, I, I think she's, she's got that credibility, um, you know, with, with the freshmen as well. And she's been through the wars and she's been a leader on, on the Australian team. So I got, I, I think we're fine. And then the young women that we have in our freshman class, they're all coming in as state champions as very decorated players. I mean, they were leaders in their own right back in their other programs. So, you know, we, we don't have a lack, I think, of, uh, of quality individuals who will be able to lead the group. When you look at this backcourt in particular, you just ran through a couple of the veterans coming back. We've, in previous podcasts, talked about some of the exciting freshman talent. We talked about Taylor a second ago. It's just an incredible wealth of backcourt talent. Um, McDonald's All-Americans, I mean, I don't even know how else to describe it, five to six really talented players. What's that? And I know practices are very different now than they have been in the past, but these players obviously around each other for amount. What's that competitive spirit been like? What's that? How's that worked from a camaraderie perspective? And I know historically at Oregon under, under you and the women's basketball program hasn't been that many issues with that kind of thing, but you do bring in a bunch of really talented players and they're competing for finite playing time. How's that gone? Well, you know, right now it's hard to say because they're not even working out with different groups. They basically stayed in the same cohort the entire time. Right. Uh, we, we've done that uh, according to, you know, the CDC and the state guide, uh, health and safety guidelines. You know, we, we haven't wanted to mix them up yet. We will here in the next little bit. So I think maybe some of our freshmen don't haven't even seen Jazz or Taylor work out, you know, because they're huh. technically not supposed to be in the same – uh arena you know they're they're off lifting or doing whatever else they are doing while the other group is is playing so i think it's just going on what they've heard but uh hey listen that's gonna be my toughest job this year to trying to figure out who's going to be on the court um because literally you you just went through you know you you just talked about it we have so many good guards as well as inside players we've got real solid uh, depth and and uh, but you know at some point we'll be practicing and playing five on five and then you know the cream will start to rise a little bit you'll see who's more ready than others so that'll work itself out but right now they all work so darn hard uh, in in our um, you know our workouts each day that uh, it, it's hard to say we've and and I'll tell you what Eric I've been coaching this will be my thirty fourth or thirty fifth year as a as a college coach. I've never had a group that shot the ball better than these guys. It's crazy. We, we have every guard that we have, we've just got a ton of dead eyes. It's crazy. Uh, we, we, there's not one player on the perimeter. And most of our inside kids can shoot it too. I mean, Sedona and Yara, uh, Kylie Watson, Angela Dugalich, you know, they're all six. Well, and uh, Ari Wilson, you know, they're all six, four or taller. And every single one of them has three-point ability and three-point range. Uh, but among the guards, they're, they're dead eyes. I mean, we, we have some certain shooting drills where we, we uh, you know, keep score, and, uh, and we have records in, in those drills. And already this early, uh, you know, these, these guys are, are, are passing some of our all-time greats like Sabrina, Lexi, Bando, and, and others. I, I mean, we're, we're going to be able to put four snipers on the floor uh, at any given time this year. Yeah, I was going to ask you about summer workouts and you and you give some, some descriptions of kind of the strangeness of what you're going through. Um, how creative have you had to get with just on a day-to-day -day basis of, of making sure? Because obviously you, you probably, 
and maybe this isn't accurate. Are your expectations different in terms of getting these players along because the, the practices are a little different, or are you finding ways to develop at a similar rate from your perspective? You know, honestly, Eric, we're not doing much different than we would have done uh, on a normal summer. You know, I, I'm not a huge believer in team practice in the summer, even though we're allowed to. We're allowed uh, four hours a week of team practice if we wanted. Now, obviously, right now, we're not allowed to do that. We can only work out with them in small groups. So, um, and they have to stay spaced. So I can't, they can't even guard each other, right. uh, you know, for certain drills. But the reality is most of the summer, we, we just do, uh, aside from maybe some one-on-one action where they can really kind of get after it a little bit, we're doing what we would typically do. A lot of skill development work, a lot of shooting, a lot of footwork. Um, you know, we're just not able to really teach them an offense right now. But, uh, you know, we're going to have a lot of time to do that, I think, in the fall. I, I would love to think that we're going to be playing uh, our first game in November, but more and more it looks like that's not going to happen. So we're going to have extended uh, time, I think, to practice with our, our players in the fall. I'm hoping that's not the case. I'm just just kind of reading the tea leaves here a little bit. Yeah, I, I didn't know if, how much we wanted to go into that, and I'm just for those listening, we're recording this Tuesday morning, and, and I, the Pac-12 – is probably going to make a decision later on today with the football. Um, and I would imagine that would probably at least signal what maybe a decision it would be with women's basketball. How are you, how it's like, you know, your job is to keep these players focused during just bizarre circumstances. You've been tested a lot recently. You know, you think about what happened in March where you guys were positioned to potentially win a championship. And you think about now where it's August and there's no guarantee, like you said, that a season starts when it's supposed to start. How do you keep them focused? Do you talk, do you talk about these things or, or, or kind of what's the process of kind of keeping everybody on the, on the same task? Well, we talk about it. Like, you, like I said earlier, we, we just go one day at a time. We don't think big picture. I don't want them focusing every day on, oh, are we going to play or are we not going to play? I just think that gets old. Number one, it's, it's out of their control. It's out of my control. So why worry about it? Let's just do the best we can today. And I think the best, uh, you know, in the end is going to happen. Uh, I, I truly do believe we are going to play basketball. That, that I'm 100% certain of. Uh, I don't know what that's going to look like and when it's going to start, but uh, I'm, I'm convinced of that. that. That's the truth. I just don't see it happen on November 8th or 9th or whenever our first day was when we could play. Um, so, yeah, I think our, our kids have – you know, they're smart. I, I think sometimes we, we shortchange our student-athletes, and, uh, you know, they understand. They, they know what's going on. They're smart. And they realize that this pandemic is serious and, and these, these issues are serious. And, and uh, so, you know, I, I, uh, I, I trust that they uh, are making good decisions and, and, like I said, are understanding what's going on. You know, and, and I guess how, how creative could you see this getting for basketball? I know we've seen the NBA and WNBA level. They go to the bubbles. I don't know if that's a possibility with basketball. I do think – at least from an outsider's perspective, it seems a lot easier to monitor 20 to 25 individuals, the women's basketball program or men's yeah. program, as opposed to five or six times that number for a football program. Um, do you, are you expecting this is going to be a thing where whenever you do play, I guess you shouldn't even have expectations at this point, but are, is it, do you think it's possible that it's just as you're playing your games at Matthew Knight Arena with some fans at some point, or, or could this get wonky and you could see something where all the Pac-12 teams congregate somewhere and they play in a bubble? sometime later this year or next year? 
Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I've thought of a couple scenarios. I, I don't know about the fan thing. I, I don't know when that's going to happen. That's not up to me. That's up to Kate Brown and the, and the other health, you know, and health officials in the state. Sure. Um, you know, a couple of things that I, I think could work, you know, to, to keep ourselves in our own little bubble. I think, uh, you know, things like, uh, you know, having our men's and women's basketball teams play double headers. You know, maybe that way we don't, you know, I think commercial flights are going to be out of the picture. I, I just don't see how we're going to be able to fly commercially a, as a team and, and still be safe. So, you know, if we fly, if we flew both, both men's and women's teams, uh, you know, on a charter flight to, let's say we go to LA uh, to play those games, you know, I think we can somewhat stay in a bubble. So, you know, maybe we do double headers. So we're all kind of playing at the same time. We save money on, on airfare, et cetera, et cetera. And then I, I've actually floated the idea out of uh, having a little pod. Um, you know, now when I say floated it out there, I've talked to like three or four coaches. That's it. <laughs> yeah. It's not been on any big platform uh, outside of now yours. You know, hey. but, but how about let's say we play the Arizona schools and we're to play, you know, they're scheduled to play us up here on a weekend. How about uh, Oregon State comes here to Oregon and then those two teams come up here uh, and, and play here. So we play all those games right here in Matthew Knight Arena. And then the next time, you know, so that way we, we, we can kind of keep it safe, secure. They're in one location. They don't have to travel. You know, like when we go to Utah and Colorado, that trip, you're going to have to get back in a plane and make another, you know, maybe you go to one place, you play the whole weekend, uh, you're secure and safe and everybody together. And then, you know, the next time we are to, supposed to host we then would go up to Oregon State and they would be the host I think everybody in our conference can uh you know are, are going to be able to test at a, at a good level like you said our travel parties aren't that big you know we're roughly 20 when you count coaches a, a, a trainer and a sports information director and that's it you know um so it's a small it would be a smaller bubble smaller group so I don't anticipate we're going to have the same issues that like football does with their massive roster and staff so I, that's why I think basketball is in maybe a better place plus the testing which is going to be critical uh during that time so those are a couple things that I thought of that might help um and and I think we got to jump on this and make some decisions early so unlike football it doesn't creep up creep up creep up and then oh by the way we're supposed to start practice next week we're not ready uh, we got to think about these things now and get them done I was going to say that the sense of urgency, I think, becomes more and more real for all of this stuff. The, the more quickly you realize how complicated it is for, for everybody, and you're seeing it now in football and obviously basketball, we can sit here and think it's three months away when they start, but we thought that similar thing in March about football and everybody felt like football would maybe be able to be played. You know, would there be time to figure stuff out? Yeah, I think you have to make those decisions, obviously, sooner than later. And I, I guess, are you – now, we've seen the Pac-12 in, in football go conference only. Are you anticipating some sort of non-conference schedule? Uh, obviously, um, it's difficult to probably to, to schedule, like you said, going too far out of the, the footprint. You probably don't want to fly down to other parts of the country necessarily. How has that part come together? And, and what kind of a concern do you have about maybe putting together a non-conference schedule? Well, I think every option's still on the table for basketball. I don't think anybody's uh, anything's been determined. I, I don't think you're going to see – teams crisscrossing the country for, uh, you know, small paydays, uh, you know, non-league games in, in other states. I think uh, if there is some kind of a, 
a non-conference season. I think it would be among teams that are relatively close to each other. Um, this is now, this is just Kelly Gray's opinion. I, I am not speaking for the PAC 12 or anybody else. And I'm no more informed than anybody else, but, uh, I, I, you know, I, I would anticipate at least a PAC 12 schedule and, and a full PAC 12 schedule, not just the 18 games that we play now, but I think an, ex, an expanded one to the full 22 games in PAC 12. That's my opinion. I'm, I'm hoping that we at least get that. And then maybe some selected, uh, non-conference drivable games somewhere uh but we were scheduled to play in the bahamas eric this year with south carolina and oklahoma and you know a lot of really good teams uh i you know they're not allowing visitors in and then i think if you leave the country technically bahamas is out of country and you come back in then you got to be quarantined for two weeks uh well we would miss the next three games or four games. So, you know, there's just still a lot of questions to be answered about a non-conference schedule. So I think because of so many factors influencing it, I can see a lot of schools going to post-Christmas conference games only. Just me. That's just me talking. Picking up on a thing you said earlier that actually caught my interest here, and I think the thing that's interesting with this COVID scenario, and you're seeing having to get very creative with how they handle things, but you, but maybe you learn that this is a preferred way to do things. Like I don't know if it's an awful idea long term to to do double headers with the men's and women's teams back to back every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever the days end up being. I don't know what your perspective on that is, but like, could you see that being kind of a cool thing where, you know, you tune in and you get to watch Dana Altman and, and his Oregon men's team, which are always really good going against, let's call it the, let's say you get Sean Miller and the Arizona men and, and right afterwards or whatever the order is, you're playing some really good Arizona women's teams, you know, at least last couple of years seem like they're headed in that direction. I think that would be a fun night of, of, of basketball. Um, could you see that being a thing or maybe that's, that thing could something like maybe some of the creative solutions here end up sticking long-term. Well, it might be a doubleheader for TV, but I don't think it w we could make it work a doubleheader like in the same arena, same day. I okay. mean, we, we actually outdrew the men by three or 4,000 a night. So it's not like you can, uh, you know, we have our own fans that, that are coming. And, and I think you'd be, I think you'd be hurting yourself at the gate if that was the case. Now, some programs, sure, you know, the LA schools that don't draw that many, uh, some of the other programs in the conference yes but when we're drawing eleven thousand a night yeah uh it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense so um so i i don't think that that's gonna i don't think that's gonna happen it might this year and because i again we're not gonna have fans more than likely if we do it would be during pac-12 play and it wouldn't be a full house anyway it would be a selected uh, uh group um spaced out in the in the arena all right last one here for you i, I wonder how COVID has impacted recruiting for you. And we've talked, I know, you know, previously, Taylor Mikesell, Ariel Wilson, they didn't get to visit campus before making decisions. They basically enrolled before the, before the first time they'd seen campus. How has that, you feel like, impacted prep recruiting? I know you've got a verbal commitment that we can't, you can't name her. Name her. I could name her and you could nod your head, but you, could, you couldn't talk about her. Um, how is, do you feel like that slowed down the process for these 2021 recruits? And I, and, and I say that in part because last year, I think by this time you, you already had your entire recruiting class finalized. Um, do you feel like that slowed the process at all, or is, was last year maybe just a, an outlier anyway? Well, that's a loaded question. I think last year was kind of an outlier. Yeah, you know, you wouldn't typically have five uh, McDonald's All-Americans 
you know, commit to you before the summer recruiting period. Sure. Uh, we weren't going to have a big 21 class anyway. I mean, we, we have so many good young kids that it doesn't make a lot of sense to, to pile on top of that a bunch of really good 21s. So we, we made sure that we, we recruited the ones that we really need, have a specific need for. Um, but, yeah, I think it's hurt us a little bit. There's no question. I think we've lost a couple of re- potential uh, recruits to, to, um, to schools that were near them, you know, where they had already established a relationship with that coaching staff. They'd been on campus. It's hard for us to, to get someone from the East Coast to say yes to us if they haven't been here on campus, they've never met us. And, uh, and so I think you've seen a lot more kids stay in the local area, their local areas than you normally would. And, uh, you know, unfortunately here in Oregon, we, we have certainly some good players, uh, but based on the, the population you know, they're not as plentiful as, you know, players in California or Texas or Florida or a lot of the other parts of the country. So, uh, so that's hurt us a little bit. We tried to make the best of it and do the best we can. Um, I think if this extends, it, it, it can really hurt our recruiting. But thank goodness we'd gotten last year done so early that we really could focus on, on the young kids before we normally would have. So we already established relationships. And we're in deep with some really talented 22s and 23s. Yeah, and I guess not to say that you, you, you want to not – land top players in 2021 but the success in 2020 allotted yourself maybe to miss on a couple of these players and not lose too much sleep over it all right coach i think that's all i've got for you today um appreciate your time it's good seeing your face here for the first time in a real long time um go ahead eric you're a nice guy man not many people say it's nice to see my (laughs) face that that is that is something i don't hear very often so i appreciate that big guy (laughs) All right. I appreciate you. And uh, good luck with everything. And uh, exciting to see players on TV from Oregon and excited to know that you guys are at least prepping for a season whenever it takes place. Yeah. Let's hope for the best. All right. All right. Have a good one, coach. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.